Hey everyone, welcome back to the forum where science comes to socialize. I'm Daniela, and with me today, as always, are Aubrey and Cleo. Hey all, thanks for tuning in. I'm Aubrey. I'm Cleo. We're always happy to welcome you back. If you're not already, don't forget to follow us on your favorite form of social media by searching for ISGP's The Forum, or you can use the handle at ISGP Forum. Check out our website too at ISGPForum.org. Today on The Forum, we'll be talking about the relationship between science, technology, and the UN Sustainable Development Goals, or the SDGs. More on this alphabet soup in just a moment, of course. To help us out with our convo, we'll be joined by Dr. Darren Duttweiler, Assistant Teaching Professor of Food Policy at Northeastern University. And just a quick shout out to our Science Communication Fellow, Hannah, for doing a lot of the prep work for this episode, including our interview with Dr. Duttweiler. But let's dive right in, shall we? It's important that we lay the groundwork for this topic and explain how it relates to science and technology in the first place. In fact, it might be a good idea to start out by explaining what the SDGs actually are. Or, heck, we can even bring it all the way back and take a look at the UN or United Nations. Dee, given that you were actually working at the UN right about the time the SDGs got started, why don't you kick us off? Aw, this just hits me with a pang of nostalgia. In your feelings, to quote the great American philosopher, Drake. <laughs> the great. Yeah, I'm really missing Geneva these days, and not just for the fondue. But in any case, the UN is an intergovernmental organization responsible for maintaining international peace and security, developing friendly relations among nations, achieving international cooperation, and serving as a centerpiece for harmonizing the actions of nations. No big deal here, but it's the largest, most familiar, most internationally represented, and most powerful intergovernmental organization in the world. And for our geography fans out there, it's headquartered on international territory in New York City, with other main offices located in Geneva, Nairobi, Vienna, and The Hague. And now for our history buffs. The UN was established after World War II with the aim of preventing future wars to replace the first ever intergovernmental organization called the League of Nations. On April 25, 1945, 50 governments met in San Francisco and started drafting the UN Charter, which was adopted on June 25th of that year and took effect four months later on October 24th. And thus the UN was born, or that's when its operations began at least. The Charter outlines the organization's objectives to include maintaining international peace and security, protecting human rights, delivering humanitarian aid, upholding international law, and promoting sustainable development. Which brings us to the Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, because syllables are hard and governments love acronyms. The SDGs were established in 2015 and provide target goals to be met by the year 2030. Much like the UN acting as a new and improved follow-up to the League of Nations, the SDGs have a similar history, replacing an older set of goals called the Millennium Development Goals, or, you guessed it, the MDGs. The Millennium Goals were established at, well, the turn of the millennium, none other than the year 2000. If you've never heard of the MDGs, we'll forgive you, because you were probably, and justifiably, obsessing over the Baxter Boys' new album. I know, I for sure was. What you missed was this. The MDGs were eight international development goals established following the Millennium Summit of the United Nations in 2000. They were to be achieved by the year 2015, and actually all 191 United Nations member states at that time, and at least 22 international organizations, committed to working towards them. 
The eight goals were one, to eradicate extreme poverty and hunger, two, to achieve universal primary education, three, to promote gender equality and empower women, number four, to reduce child mortality, five, to improve maternal health, six, to combat HIV, AIDS, malaria, and other diseases, number seven, to ensure environmental sustainability, and finally, number eight, to develop a goal partnership for development. The eight goals were measured by 18 different targets, and to accelerate progress, the G8 finance ministers agreed in June 2005 to provide enough funds to the World Bank, International Monetary Fund, or IMF, and African Development Bank, or ADB, to cancel 40 to $55 billion in debt owed by members of the heavily indebted poor countries to allow them to redirect resources to programs for improving health and education and for alleviating poverty. So that was supposed to help. And although there were major advancements towards achieving some of the MDGs, even before the 2015 deadline, progress was uneven between countries. Former UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon. <laughs> you mean the one you got to meet and then called me in tears? <laughs> yes, that's the one. So he explained that the MDGs helped to lift more than 1 billion people out of extreme poverty, made progress against hunger, enabled more girls to attend school than ever before, and helped to protect our planet. Yet, for all the remarkable gains, inequalities persisted, and that progress has been uneven. It's hard to really say whether each of the eight goals was met because each goal consisted of various indicators. For example, it's widely accepted that the goal to promote gender equality was met, so that was a successful goal. However, only half of the goal of eliminating poverty was achieved because the amount of people living in extreme poverty was halved by 2015, which is good, but not a fully met goal. As another example, the target of cutting the amount of people suffering from hunger by half was straight up not met at all. Why not discuss the other ones while we're at it? MDG 7, ensuring environmental sustainability, sought to cut the number of people without access to safe drinking water by half. This target was achieved, but other tenants within 7 weren't. Goal 2, 4, 5, 6, and 8, in case you were taking notes, also were not accomplished, unfortunately. So that's definitely a bummer. And in 2015, the world got together and did what we do best. We retrospectively critiqued ourselves and came up with a new plan, Agenda 2030. Well, hindsight is 2020, I guess. Or 2030 in this case. <laughs> what? H how did you think of that pun before me? <laughs> well done, Aubrey. <laughs> to you. you did kind of hand it to me on a plate. <laughs> Well, speaking of plates, how did the world decide to curb hunger this time around? <laughs> okay, right. So the 2030 Agenda, more commonly known as the Sustainable Development Goals, is a collection of 17 global goals designed to be a, quote, blueprint to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all, end quote. While the SDGs dive deeper into details regarding methodologies to achieve the different targets, they did not make the job any easier. And that's because these goals aim to reach farther, and they also recognize the interconnectivity of the world, and thus the need for a much larger scope. The agenda increased the number of goals by nine, even if they're meant to be achieved in the same number of years. Ugh, now we're gonna have to list all 17, aren't we? Ooh, should we see how fast we can all say them? 
Daniela, are you sure you really want to do that? Because as far as I know, you can't really pronounce most words slowly. <laughs> Ooh, <got him. laughs> well, fortunately for you, Dee, we're explicitly not trying to lose our audience today. So one at a time and slowly, please. All right. The first SDG is no poverty. The second, zero hunger. The third, good health and well-being. The fourth, quality education. Fifth, gender equality. Sixth, clean water and sanitation. The seventh, affordable and clean energy. The eighth, decent work and economic growth. <sighs> Y'all still with us? Okay, good. The ninth is industry innovation and infrastructure. Ten is reducing inequality. Eleven is sustainable cities and communities. Twelve is responsible consumption and production. Almost there, guys. So, okay, 13 is climate action. 14 is life below water. 15 is life on land. 16 is peace, justice, and strong institutions. And finally, the 17th refers to partnerships made to achieve the other goals. What a list. It's almost like governmental bodies came up with this. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I feel like people were coming up with these the way I shop online. Every time I'm checking out one item, I end up adding four more to my basket. Like, we've got life below water, so I guess that means we got to include all that life up there on land, too. <laughs> Wait, can we just jump back to your online shopping analogy, though? It's oddly appropriate. Because what the computer suggests you to put in your basket is always a product related to the one you're currently looking at. This is much the same with the SDGs. They're all inherently tied to each other, and progress towards achieving one will inevitably lead to progress towards achieving another. Which is cool, but unfortunately that means that the opposite is true too. Hindering one hinders the others in the same way. So, how are the SDGs doing? I know we're only four years in and still have a long way to go, but are we on track? We asked Dr. Detweiler to help us out with this one. But now that we know what the SDGs are and where they came from, this might be a good time to take a short break before we dive into the heavy stuff. Stick around. Want more ISGPs The Forum? Visit our website or SoundCloud channel every other Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern for brand new episodes at the intersection of science and society, or catch up on our past shows at any time. Then don't forget to chat with the co-hosts on Twitter and Facebook. We can't wait to hear from you. Welcome back to the forum's episode on the SDGs. Right before the break, we were about to hear from Dr. Detweiler regarding his views on where countries are at when it comes to achieving the SDGs. Take a listen. This is one of those things that I don't think there's ever such thing as a, a finish line. I don't think there's ever, you know, oh, we did it, we're done kind of a thing. You know, I, I think that we, we look at the future in terms of we can never actually achieve and then cross off these holes just as much as... Uh, I heard once someone at an airport talking about going through the TSA security line and saying that I hope one day we don't have to do this again. And I just remember thinking, you honestly think that we're not going to have to do this again? There's always going to be, you know, someone out there who who puts security as a high priority and, and that this is what we're, we're doing. So in the sense that, let's say we did end poverty. If we then 
say it's no longer a goal for us to end poverty, we're basically ignoring the fact that poverty, A, is defined differently in different places, and B, it can easily come back. Same thing with hunger. As soon as we say, "Mm, we don't have to deal with with hunger anymore, no, there's going to be something that triggers hunger issues, and there's going to be corporate and and political actions that are taken that will will, uh, exacerbate areas of hunger. And again, hunger in one place may be different than hunger in another place. You can go down each one of these 17 items and say, you know, there really is never a, a, a true end of the tunnel, light at the end of the tunnel or, or goal. Interesting. I think arguments about country progress and what tools might most help us get there do differ quite a bit. In fact, we should probably just start diving into exploring the relationship between science, technology, and the SDGs. That's what we're all here for, right? Absolutely. The scope or possible role for science in achieving these goals is absolutely massive. In fact, the UN Science Advisory Board calls on scientists and policymakers to promote a set of principles here. One of these principles recognizes science as a universal public good that helps lay the foundation for a sustainable world. Then, there's acknowledging basic science as a principal requirement for innovation and providing a productive scientific environment. And finally, there are the related points that enhancing diversity in science helps sustainable development along, and that strengthening science education increases science literacy and capacity at all levels. Actually, Dr. Detweiler thinks that teaching about the SDGs at all educational levels is a key driver to achieve the goals. Listen in. I think it's important for us to include these exact kind of conversations in the education uh, landscape. It, you know, whether it's it doesn't have to be college. It should, I think it should be at high school level too. I think we should understand this, and that if we talk about these earlier, if we talk about these as we're preparing people to enter the workforce, if we are talking about these, uh, you know, when we have students who are going for degree, higher degrees, master's degrees, doctorate degrees to take on these higher levels within industry, then that starts to help nurture that culture. On the flip side, if we do not talk about these as we are preparing people to be qualified to take on roles of of highest responsibility within the world of politics and industry, then we're sending the wrong message. We are sending the message that this is not something to worry about. This is not something to talk about. This is not a culture that we need to nurture. This is not part of your decision-making process. And how do we do this? Well, the last two principles of science and the SDGs suggest a need to increase investments in science and promote an integrated scientific approach addressing the social, economic, and environmental dimensions of sustainable development not to mention respecting the diversity of knowledge systems. Now, it's a common argument that the UN has a bunch of manifestos and conventions, resolutions, and other wordy documents declaring just how much we care, but that these documents lack concrete action. In this case, however, according to the International Network for Government Science Advice, or INSA, there are five major rules for science, specifically in the SDGs. To put it bluntly, while there's no standalone goal related to science, All of the SDGs will require scientific inputs, which we'll continue to summarize throughout the rest of this episode. Even so, science, technology, and innovation, which is shortened to STI in UN jargon, are even featured directly in a few of the goals as we outlined above. 
namely SDG 9 on industry innovation and infrastructure demands that by 2030 infrastructure and industries need to be upgraded and retrofitted to make them sustainable. This includes increased resource use efficiency and adoption of clean and environmentally sound technologies and industrial processes. All countries are expected to take action according to their respective capabilities. Alongside this, the goal also calls for enhanced scientific research and upgrading the technological capabilities of industrial sectors in all countries, especially in developing countries. By 2030, innovation must be substantially encouraged, which means increasing public and private R&D spending and increasing the number of professionals working in R&D by 1 million. And then there's goal 17 on partnerships, which admittedly sounds a bit vague or cop-out-ish until you realize that it directly features the need for technology. If you read a little closer, you know, past the eye-catching colorful SDGs graphic, it calls for the development, transfer, dissemination, and diffusion of environmentally sound technologies to developing countries on favorable terms. Then, of course, there's the fact that some goals have direct and obvious roles for STI. Take SDG 8, for instance, on decent work and economic growth, or SDG 13 on climate action, 14 on life below water, or 15 on the conservation, restoration, and sustainable use of land resources. According to INCSA, science is needed to implement the SDGs. In September 2015, the UN launched a technology facilitation mechanism whose crux basically was that science is critical for meeting our SDG challenges. We can get specific here when it comes to some examples. Ending hunger, or SDG 2, means investing in agricultural research. Ensuring healthy lives under Goal 3 requires development of new vaccines and medicines. And establishing sustainable consumption and production patterns under Goal 12 means supporting developing countries and strengthening their scientific and technological capacity. And finally, we need to be able to translate well-intended commitments into visible action, which is probably the hardest part of all. You might recall from our episode on coral reefs, a brief discussion on the importance of enforceability. In this case, someone needs to be monitoring progress. A high-level political forum overseas follows up on and reviews the SDGs. Part of its remit is to, quote, strengthen the science policy interface. It may not be surprising to you to learn that STI plays a massively important role in measuring and evaluating impact. Reliable poverty data and metrics are quite sparse in some areas of the world. It's unsurprising, then, that target 17.8, because yes, these can be broken down into fractions, is to, quote, increase significantly the availability of high-quality, timely, and reliable data, end quote. Gaps in data, particularly in developing countries, can aggravate and increase the very inequalities the SDGs set out to combat. We can't emphasize enough, then, how science plays a major role in collecting, analyzing, and making inferences from data. Statistical methods and analyses are often called upon to communicate research findings and for making appropriate decisions. UNESCO, the UN Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, also provides support through many policy and capacity-building initiatives and campaigns. However, two specific programs demand mentioning here today. The Man and the Biosphere program promotes the sustainable use of terrestrial ecosystems, including sustainable forest management, combating desertification, and halting biodiversity loss. Then there's IGGP, 
or the International Geoscience and Geoparks Program. This is super important because I feel like people get stuck on the environmental sustainability part of the SDGs and don't recognize the fact that sustainability also refers to protecting ourselves, basically providing humankind with adaptive capacities to prepare for risks and live sustainable lives in the future. The IGGP helps countries build capacity to manage disaster and climate risks and improves their ability to cope with disasters like tsunamis and other water-related disasters. So now that we've convinced you, hopefully, that there is a role for science to play here, woo, what specific technologies might play a central role? Dr. Detweiler found this to be a complicated question to answer. I think that's uh, both a hard one and easy one to answer. It's hard because it'd be great if I could point to any one specific kind of uh, like blockchain or you know something like that and that's what everyone wants to hear but the reality is we're far from that you know we're technically starting this fourth industrial revolution where we're thinking about how to use technology differently and it's not about any one specific technology it's not all about predictive analytics it's not all about big data it's not all about internet of things or or machine learning or artificial intelligence or or blockchain, whatever, uh, it's, it's how we're using all technology to do this. And it's true. We're all guilty of it because, well, it's fun to imagine that artificial intelligence and blockchain are going to save the world one day. But in reality, it's much more complicated than that. And there are many different kinds of technologies that need to be considered separately for the various opportunities they provide for achieving the SDGs. There's no one overarching technology, no silver bullet that stands out as an umbrella savior for a sustainable world. But this is actually really exciting because remember, there's not a single SDG that can be achieved without science. Instead of mo money, mo problems, we're talking about mo tech, mo solutions. <laughs> Drake would be so proud. The Thank great American you. philosopher. <laughs> yeah, such a philosopher. <laughs> While we can't begin exploring science and tech options for all 17 of the SDGs, because that would be a lot of time, there are some applicable technologies that many of us already interact with every day. Some of the more obvious ones include energy-efficient light bulbs, solar panels that are growing in popularity, and even electric cars such as the ever-trendy Tesla or most Uber drivers with Toyota hybrids. Actually, did you know that Uber partnered with Toyota? And that's a big part of the reason why you see so many Toyota hybrids as Uber cars. No way, seriously? Yep. Well, also because it just makes sense to pay less for gas if you're going to be driving all day. But yeah, Uber and Toyota are even competing with Lyft, GM, Google, and a few other big names to design the first electric autonomous vehicle. Well, that's a little scary, especially now that I've witnessed DC driving. Honestly, I don't know why Jersey drivers get such a bad rep. People here are nuts. Then there's Rhode Island, where my friend Brenna lives, and when I visited her, she said that cars literally do not stop for people in crosswalks. So on second thought, maybe people not controlling the cars would be a good thing. <laughs> Fair. Maybe. But if folks want to learn more about self-driving cars and other AI technologies, check out episode 100 of our show for the full scoop on that. So before I start having nightmares about robot cars on the National Mall, are there any other less obvious areas that might play at the nexus of SDGs in science? Well, you know, an episode of ours isn't over before Dee and I get to somehow talk about food. I thought that already happened when Dee mentioned fondue. Okay, then not until we talk about food twice. <laughs> 
Great. Thanks, Cleo. And actually, Dr. Detmuller is also going to talk about food because he had a few points to make on how it might impact a few of the SDGs. First, he notes how issues involving food safety might adversely affect the environment. Let's hear from him. When we look at certain things that aren't necessarily considered to be sustainable development goals, like food safety, well, one could say food safety has to do with uh, health and well-being, right? But you know, when we have these massive recalls and, and tons, literally like hundreds and even millions of, of tons of meat are recalled because of contamination or because of uh, metal, metal debris in it or something like that, think about all the energy that was wasted to produce that meat or, or, or whatever it is. You know, it could be flour, it could be olives, whatever it is. You know, think how much water was used, think how much energy was used, the, the impact on the land. And now you did all that for the purpose of food uh, because, you know, you want people to be able to have food and, and that kind of stuff, but now you're throwing it all away. You're, you're going to destroy it. So now we, we have wasted resources. We've created an economic impact, but we've also created a climate impact. We've created greenhouse gases, we have contaminated water, uh, we have impacted the land. So we need to think about food safety in terms of these sustainable goals. I mean, yeah, I haven't really thought about it, but it makes complete sense. Any failure in food safety results in a massive waste of resources used to make that food. And then there's the issue of how to maintain production levels of certain foods with shrinking resources. Take a listen. We need to think about uh, food authenticity. You know, when you have sustainable development goals not being addressed, and now you have impact on the on the land or or, or in the seas, and you have less and less crops available, now you have people who are pressured to pass off lesser crops as being these better crops. So this is why you see people adding illegal additives to to baby food or to rice or to to foods, and people become sick and die from this. You have environmental impacts that are, are impacting the economics of food in certain area, and so people are passing off, let's say, a, you know cheap olive oil from Los Angeles as being fine olive oil, you know, virgin olive oil from from Italy or something like that because it's too expensive because it's you know, the impact of climate change uh, to get it from Italy. And so now they're using synthetic ingredients and, and uh, selling it as being something that it's not. And now people are harmed and cultures are harmed. So what I'm getting at is that if we fail to make these connections, even with when it comes to food reputation, food quality, food safety, food defense, food sustainability, obviously, and food authenticity, we fail to make those direct connections with the sustainable development goals. This actually really reminds me of a recent episode of Rotten I was just watching on Netflix. Do you guys watch it? I can't say that I do. <laughs> I've been actively avoiding it because I don't want to feel sad about my favorite foods at this point in time. 
I know. Honestly, I've become the most annoying person to myself and as a dinner guest to everyone after watching episodes of this. I can't enjoy avocados. Heck, I can barely drink water. But anyway, this one episode I've been thinking of was crazy. It's actually right up your alley, Cleo, talking all about how our bees are dying and our ability to produce honey is decreasing. Apart from the obvious environmental concerns, the show explained how honey producers from other countries mix a bit of honey in with other sugar syrups and additives in order to increase its volume and sell it at a cheaper price. The problem here is that consumers were, and might still be, buying what they thought was straight up honey because, I mean, it was labeled that way. However, these products, particularly those coming in from China, were combined with illegal additives that may be fatal for some consumers, depending on how their bodies digest them. Wow, food fraud 101. It's a good thing I'm not a big honey consumer. <laughs> I mean, that one little example touches on so many of the SDGs. Goal two on zero hunger and nutritious food. Goal three on good health and well-being. Even goal eight on decent work and economic growth, since these cheaper imports basically drove American beekeepers out of business. Not to mention goal 12 on responsible consumption and production. It really goes without saying, then, that underpinning these 17 broad themes are tons of intricacies, as complex as honey production, trade regulation, and import routes, all of which can influence our progress. As Dr. Detweiler rightly mentioned, it is all connected. In fact, he thinks that the great online connector of social media is a particularly impactful technology for achieving the SDGs. Check it out. The one kind of um, technology that I, I will highlight, though, that I think is making a significant impact on this is social media, because we can look at all the data literacy and the technological literacy out there, and you can buy the best technology and you can hire the best operators. But if we are devoid of, of the human element, you can ask all the right questions, but what if you don't ask them at the right time? And you can ask all the right questions at the right time. But what if you don't know how to follow up with that, how to take action, how to take data and turn it into actionable information and create a movement, a, a series of actions, a culture in which people are, are now you know, motivated and, and um, given that momentum to take action based on that. And the only kind of scenario in terms of technology that I'm seeing is actually doing that right now is social media, where people are building awareness, where people are gathering like-minded people to look at evidence and to voice their opinions and to turn virtual meetings into in-person gatherings and into movements and marches and, and to a validate that this is a concern and priority out there but at the same time you know this is where we get changes in the corporate and in the political realm is when we as consumers as citizens as constituents are considered stakeholders not just those who are elected not just those that are you know working in the c-suite at executives when we the people are, are, are once again considered to be stakeholders in this bigger process then it becomes less of a game of us versus them and more of a game of we are all in this together and it's not just the select few who are looking at sustainable development goals and with that, we can for once give ourselves a pat on the back for being addicted to our phones, and we can wrap up on a positive note. 
We hope you learned a bit about the nexus of the SDGs and science today, and that next time you request an Uber and it happens to be a Toyota hybrid, you'll turn to your driver and thank them for their heroic efforts. <laughs> you definitely have a full five-star passenger rating, don't you? <laughs> Well, if you have any more examples of how science can contribute to the SDGs, don't hesitate to reach out. Do you agree that social media might be the most important technology for helping to achieve the SDGs? If not, why? Which technologies do you think might play a larger role? If you're a scientist yourself and have any personal contributions, give us a shout and tell us about your journey. As always, you can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at ISGP Forum or on Facebook at facebook.com slash isgpforum, or on our website as well at isgpforum.org. Special thanks to Dr. Detweiler for joining us on today's episode. And thanks to you all for tuning in and socializing with science. Make sure to join us next time right here on the forum. The Forum is sponsored by the Institute on Science for Global Policy, or ISGP, an international think tank that has no opinions and does not lobby. Any views expressed in the preceding podcast are those of the speakers and are not endorsed by ISGP. Podcast theme music is provided by Steve Combs and Lee Rosevere. For more information on the Forum and its programs, please visit our website at isgpforum.org.